and welcome to Drawn to the Flame. Sometimes weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, sometimes monthly, sometimes whenever we can manage it, podcast on Arkham Horror, the card game. It's uh, slightly different today, as I'm presenting it. <laughs> uh, however, I am joined by... It's me, Frank. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. You sound wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Both with the I mean, words I... you delivered, but also the sound that you delivered them through I with. I feel wonderful <laughs> because I'm sitting right in front of a brand new microphone. How do you feel, Frank? I feel very similar because I'm in front of a brand new microphone as well. And we're both just completely made up and grateful to our amazing patrons who've helped us to get to this point. And hopefully you can hear a difference in the quality already, listener. I really hope so. <laughs> I feel a lot more professional. I'll try and put a picture of me up with my recording equipment. Because, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I look better. I feel like more of a professional podcaster. So I'm going to yeah. have to up, up my game in terms of the content I deliver. You need to get a photo with that on-air sign that you have behind your yeah. recording spot. I'm going to try and put it up because I took a picture. <laughs> Immense. Cool. So keep an eye out for those pictures, listener. Yeah, and we're so we've got new mics, and we are experimenting with the best setup, with how to to arrange them and how to record ourselves. Hopefully, it's sounding better already. But if there's any uh, any feedback people have got, hopefully not audio feedback. So we audio joke for you there, Frank. <laughs> yeah, that's very yeah, good. Yeah, that was good. Um, if there's any feedback people have got, just let us know. And we'll try different setups and stuff if this isn't working. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm going to hopefully record some live play soon as well. Exactly the same reason to test how it sounds with all the kind of flapping around with cards and rattling of Chaos Bag and all of that kind of stuff. Because this mic, I think, is a lot more sophisticated. So maybe we can do some more interesting things. Which be Yeah, really, you might get really a nice... Cool. ASMR effect if you ripple the cards close to the mic as well. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so what's happening in the world of Arkham? Well, the big news yesterday was that we're returning to the Dunwich Legacy. If you haven't seen this news, listener, pop over to Fantasy Flight Games' website because it's one of the leading pieces of news at the moment. And they're going to do a similar thing that they did to return to the Night of the Zealot but this time for an eight-scenario campaign. So what do we know about what they're doing in this box? Good question, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist saying it. We we term these episodes good question. That is a good question. Uh, I think, as far as we can tell, the template is fairly similar to what they did with Return to the Night of the Zealot. So if for some reason you haven't played that yet and you don't want to be spoiled, I'm not going to go into story points, but I'm going to talk about some of the little changes that they did there. So the main thing, this is your warning, stop listening if you don't want to hear this sort of thing. The main thing they do is they release a little scenario card that tells you what changes you make and they release some new encounter sets to replace old ones, new locations, maybe a different act or agenda to reflect the changes. So the scenarios are in themselves remixed a little bit and then there are also new player cards and if Return to the Night of the Zealot is anything to go by. They've taken cards from the set that's being remixed and made new XP versions of those cards. And I think that it's safe to say that they're doing the same here. Yeah, from the fan art on the website, it looks like there's some of the cards that maybe were actually slightly 
less played in the Dunwich Legacy. So I think mm. Clarity of Mind is on there, which is yeah. a perfectly fine card, but maybe one that could do with a bit of a boost so it, it competes with some other similar cards. Yeah, yeah. So the, the experience mechanism is a really cool tool to, to play with that. You know, if, if a card doesn't quite land when it comes out, you can go back and do a higher experience version, which maybe, you know, boosts the power a little bit. So more people are encouraged to take it, which I think is really cool. I get, what What's intriguing me is that the core set, so the core set is built with all the core encounter decks, which are largely generic by design yeah. so that they can be yeah. used across, you know, across all the cycles that are coming out. So returning to the Knight of the Zealot was good because it meant we could make that more flavorful, those characters, those encounter decks. So the particular cult that we're fighting, there's some, you know, there's dedicated cards for that, that cult yeah. going in there. But with Dunwich, it's already tailored to the Dunwich legacy. So I'm interested to see what spin they take on it, whether they're, they're trying to up the difficulty or, you know, make us think about it in a different way. I'm excited to play it to find out what they're doing. Yeah, totally the same. I One of the things I really like about Return to the Night of the Zealot is the fact that it also adds randomness, that particularly for that first scenario that is a bit of a hand-holding tutorial scenario, to ha- then have it where you're actually not sure what certain rooms are going to be when you move into them and you know, the enemies are a bit beefier and the treacheries hit you a little bit harder. That felt like a really welcome tweak. So, so maybe more replayability than being random necessarily. Yeah. So you, you know you're not quite sure what you what to expect, rather than mm. it being mm. just a cost, toss of a coin as to whether you succeed or not. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting though because two of the scenarios that we like the most in Danich, which are Blood on the Altar and Undimension and Unseen, they every single location in those scenarios, bar one, the Village Commons, is a choice of two. So there's already baked into that uncertainty about what version of the village shop or is it Osborne's general store and, you know, what version of Devil's Hopyard will we get? And you don't know. So that's one of the reasons why I like those scenarios that already feel very replayable. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have some extra coaches for the the Essex County Express as well that get shuffled Mm. in. Yeah, that would be nice. That'd be nice. Just a little bit more diversity there. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, the, so the Dunwich Legacy Matt developed before the core set was out. So mm-hmm. he didn't have that data of all the people playing the game and feeding back what they enjoyed and they didn't enjoy, which the later cycles have had. So I'd be yes. interested to see how he approaches some of the the scenarios which you know, people, there's some that people don't get on with as well in the Dunwich Legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he approaches those, if he, if he incorporates any lessons he's learned from Path to Carcosa and uh, the Forgotten Age so far. Yeah, and it, it, I think oh, definitely. The, and one of the other things, he's, he's working on it with two other guys, uh, Adam and Brady Sadler or Sadler? Not sure how to say mm-hmm. their surname. Who were two other game designers, and I noticed they've, they've had a Kickstarter recently for one of their games. But I think they worked on the Warhammer Quest card adventure card game. Yeah, they did. They did. Which, which I think shares a bit of a lineage with Arkham Horror, the card game. Mm. There's certain similarities between those two games. So interesting Absolutely. to see what all, they've all come up with together. And I've seen Brady 
Sadler, 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 being very positive about Arkham. He's on the Discord and he, you know, I, I think I saw him, I don't want to misquote him, but I think I saw him at one point saying something like, it was the kind of game we wanted to design for Warhammer Quest. So that idea of having uh, an enemy deck, you know, it's all versions of the Lord of the Rings card game, but having an enemy deck and locations that you need to cover and challenging the players to balance various different things and having difficulty making it a tough game to play. Yeah, so hopefully that means as a fan of the game and also as a seasoned game designer, they'll add a really nice new twist. So we'll see what they do. I just wanted to, as a caveat for this box, I suppose the other thing we should remember about this is we should really use the return to the Knight of the Zealot box as a template for this. So we shouldn't expect new investigators. The changes are probably in the region of 10 to 15 cards maximum for a scenario. So if you're really hoping for a scenario to be completely changed, that's unlikely to be the case. It might just be that it's a couple of encounter sets changing, maybe a location or two. And I think the other thing is it's not going to fix things that people perceive as as problems or broken. So I saw a couple of people saying things along the lines of, you know, why don't they print versions of cards that have been errated? And, you know, it's not a it's not a kind of Dunwich 2.0 in a fixing of errors. It's more of an expansion to what's already yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's so. a spin on what's already there. So if you've played through the Dunwich Legacy a couple of times and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'd love to do it again, but I kind of, I think I've seen most of it this is like the perfect expansion for you because it just gives you that yeah. little bit of spice to it. And also it comes in a really nice box. So I'm yeah. going to have to buy yeah. a card catalogue box. Fit a lot of cards to, in. The card catalogue box to fit this alongside my Knight of the Zealot box. Yeah. I suppose the other thing is if you're a person who's maybe only bought Dunwich and you're not sure you want to commit to a new campaign, this is a nice... We said this about the core set, didn't we? If you've bought the core set and you thinking about buying into more of the game, but you don't want to commit to an entire cycle, buying Return to the Night of the Cellar might be a nice bump. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, once we've once we've got it and played it, I'm sure we'll have more impressions of that. Mm. The, the other thing, tiny thing to note, is that this was about the time that they should be announcing the next cycle. And the fact that we haven't had a next cycle announcement makes me wonder if the next cycle won't be beginning this year. And it might be a January release. So this is a Q4. Returns and the Dunwich Legacy is a Q4 release. This might be our kind of Christmas time release, just as Forgotten Age is finishing up and just as uh, Guardians of the Abyss comes out. And then maybe the next cycle is we're going to have a bit of break between cycles, which I'm in favour of. I think there should be a bit of time between cycles. Especially if, if this, if this pack's coming out as well, because that gives us time to sit down and play through another you know, eight scenario campaign. Mm, yeah, yeah, precisely. Okay, well, we've talked about that for a while. Um, yeah. What else What else have you got on the, the menu for me, Frank? Yeah, well, one of the cards that they uh, announced in this article, apart from seeing Think on Your Feet and Clarity of Mind in the fan, they also released that there's a new Strange Solution. And we did an entire Esoteric Devices episode on Strange Solution and on these Seeker upgrade cards. So I just wanted to pitch this one to you and see what you thought of it. So this is the Empowering Elixir. It's one cost, four XP. It has a double intellect icon, so it fills out the set. It has the same text that you can only include it if you've 
upgrading it from unidentified and only if you've identified the solution. So that's the same. It uses three supplies, which is the same. And then it reads action, spend one supply and exhaust strange solution. So it's a once per turn deal. Choose an investigator at your location to gain two resources and draw one card. What do you think of this card, Peter? <laughs> that's a leading question. How many supplies has this got? Three. Okay, so it's... Same as the I-Core. Yeah. So that's Same three... as all of them, I think, apart from the restorative concoction. So that's how yeah. does that work out from a just that's a four. purely that's four. click a ca- click action economy? It's it's three supplies, so it's four actions and a resource to drain it. Mm-hmm. But then that's four cards and sorry, six cards and no, uh, no three uh, cards and six resources. Six resources. And three cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got there in the end. Yeah, I mean it's, it it seems okay. You've asked me this because I let slip earlier today that I'm not a huge fan of Strange Solution. Mm. Yeah, and you seem to think that that was a, a great crime as well. A lot of people really like that card, and a lot of people use it as a key tool, especially the the, the fighting one. So is that the, the acidic echo? Yeah, I, that's echo. Right. A lot of people use that as, as, a, as a, like a key tool in like wrecks to be able to fight. So there's like a acid bottle throwing Rex deck that they have and then they, they, they prioritize finding the the answer or the, the, the solution and then upgrading the card straight away afterwards which is why I think a lot of people don't rate shrewd analysis as well I've heard other people mm-hmm. talking about shrewd yeah. analysis and they, they're like well I want to pick the cards that I upgrade to yeah if you play solo seeker and you only want the icor as your combat solution why would you take a card that lets you gamble on whether you get the icor but i i don't i don't know i i kind of hope i think you might be expecting a really logical well answer for me about why i don't like it but i don't really have that an element of it is is honestly the theming of it because and i know some people like it i'm less of a fan of the weird science pulp aspects of of the mythos so i'm not a huge fan of lightning gun either okay i prefer the more the more grounded style of stuff, even if it's using magic. It's, yeah, the it's, more, it's, you know, shrivelings, right of seeking, the kind of... That's right, yeah. I mean, even Storm of Spirits, but it's it's the more outlandish and, and dare I say it, wacky scientific kind of stuff. And it doesn't appeal to me as much. So I actually, okay. I really like the glyphs. I like the glyphs much more than I like the solution. I think maybe if I was running with a scientist character... So is it Kate Winthrop is the scientist? That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, if I was playing as her, I'd, I'd feel a lot more drawn towards it. I also think it's using it as a key part of your strategy. So it's 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 very expensive in terms of experience and in terms of finding the solution first. You then have to spend another four on top of finding the solution. Eight experience mm-hmm. you're investing in two cards in your deck, which don't play into a key strategy of what the rest of your deck is doing, usually. So Rex with Ikor is a Rex deck that can fight a bit if he finds the Ikor, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than being, you know, an extra an extra good option he's got for fighting, it's the sole way of fighting he's got, unless you've also take uh, I've Got a Plan. For yeah, me... Or use his off-class for a Fire Axe or... 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or shriveling. Yeah. You know, if you're going higher ed, you can take shriveling in, in him or in Daisy. So I, I guess that's where I'm coming from. I, I feel like it doesn't chime with the way I like to build decks, which mm. is I pick a key strength and then I pick my cards to synergize with that and I pick my experience cards to emphasize my strengths, not make up for a weakness I've got. And that's understandable. And I think definitely within solo as well, there's maybe things that need to be shored up in a way that if you're building in a group, you wouldn't necessarily need to do. Basically, I I agree with everything you've said, but what I like about Strange Solution, this one, the empowering elixir, is how this makes shrewd analysis, to my mind, better. (laughs) Because this is another choice. And it doesn't make it better for those people who want acidic I-Core, but it makes it better for the people like me who like shrewd analysis because it might throw up a really odd thing into your deck that you're just going to have to roll with and make the best use of. And I think I've said to you before, when our min player, when we were playing Return to the Knight of the Zealot, she used shrewd analysis and ended up with two of the restorative concoction. Yeah. And so that we actually lent into that as a strategy and we then therefore announced that we would not boost to pass tests that would damage us because Min could spend actions to heal that damage. So it wasn't worth us spending cards to avoid damage. And I was playing Silas. I tanked a bunch of hits that maybe I wouldn't have tanked before, knowing that Min would just keep me topped up. So I really loved that that had an impact on how we played. Yeah, and I yeah. liked the idea that this would force a Seeker into going like, ooh, I can draw you cards and get you resources, You know, particularly if you're a Guardian or a Mystic or any of the people we talk about who need more cards and resources. So that's where I like it. I love it for fitting into that niche. This this card I like, it, it would fit into more of my decks than the other ones. Mm. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I like the glyphs more because I think the, the two ways the glyphs upgrade fit more into the key strengths of decks I've used them in. So yeah. I've I, I've currently got, I've, I used the glyphs in a uh, min deck I had. I went for the finding clues upgrade. Is that guiding Guiding stones, stones yeah. Because that played into the strengths I had with her. And then with Ursula, I actually used Shrewd Analysis because I think both of the glyphs work well with Ursula. Mm, The the prophecy foretold or the Guiding Stones. And I ended up with one of both, which was worked really well. That's great. It's almost toolboxy then. You choose which one you need. Yeah, and and, and it's never been a case where I've drawn it and gone, oh, I wish I had the other one. (laughs) Uh, Usually, you know, they're, they're both useful in the situation you're in. Yeah, and you can just yeah. sort of take a slightly different tack once you've drawn one or the other. So yeah, yeah. Th- th- that's that's why I'm not a huge Strange Solution fan, and I hope I hope people don't hate me. And I hope they still <laughs> listen to the podcast. Confession, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we should have like a, a kind of dirty confessions strand where we all we have unpopular Arkham opinions. Maybe I mean, you know, I bang on about this a lot. I don't like the idea of being there being orthodoxy in games and being cards that you have to include in decks. So you know, that's probably my unpopular opinion, that I think if you don't want to build a Guardian deck with Machete in it, you can build a Guardian deck that doesn't have Machete and you'll be fine. And you're not. it's not being kind of, I said on a previous episode, being contrary, but it's actually not being too contrary. And yeah, I argue against the idea of auto-includes, certainly in my head. Maybe I don't say that enough. Yeah. <laughs> So I've got a question for you, Frank. Hit me. This with it. this popped, I'm ready, Peter. Well, this popped up, and in fact, we talked about this uh, when we met each other last weekend, and it's popped up on the Facebook this afternoon. 
someone was asking about cards to include in Ursula. And I said, okay. after having positive experience, I really liked the compass, the otherworldly mm. compass, which I think is such a cool card. I think it's a really cool concept for a card. Actually, just, just briefly before I get onto the question, I think I, I can't remember, I, I played with Ursula that had the compass in earlier this week as well. I can't remember which game it was in, but I, I'd moved away from where my fellow investigator was and used Unearth the Ancients to put the compass into play and then move back to the original location so I could benefit from field work. Uh, and it was just the idea of Ursula wandering off into the jungle and then coming back holding a compass, saying, no, no, I was I meant to be here all along. <laughs> yeah, a glowing blue compass as well. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, so explain to me, Frank, when should I take magnifying glass and when should I take the compass and when should I just stick with flashlight? Because there's three cards there that are similar to an extent, but different enough that I need to be able to pick between them. Really, man, I can't believe I'm about to say it. Really good question. It actually <laughs> is a really good question. We touched on it when we did the first look. I mean, immediately, Sean, who was a guest on the show, said, we've got to compare this to Flashlight straight away. And it's a really tricky one. There are some people out there who are magnifying glass players through and through, and you would have to tear a magnifying glass out of their cold dead hands to get them to stop playing it and i stopped playing magnifying glass quite a long time ago i think and, and why did you stop playing magnifying glass because i mean this again you've got to pick through what's just your own subjective opinions and not actually a, a kind of useful experience that anyone else will get because i commit quite a lot of cards to tests and i like cards that draw me cards because I like to throw cards to tests. And I like to be fairly selective about assets that I invest in. I, I think Magnifying Glass is a fantastic card, but if I was playing a Seeker maybe with higher education or with a base intellect of five, if I then have St. Hubert's Key or Milan, I was up to six, and I was feeling like it was sort of overkill to be getting other cards down to pass tests. I mean, Magnifying Glass is still great, but it just it just sort of fell out of my the top of my mind of cards you know when i was thinking oh i need to i want to upgrade to this really fun card like deciphered reality or no stone unturned that's five. it yeah magnifying glass is a card that you're not going to lose a scenario from well, cutting it this yeah, this is it win and a scenario from including one of those power cards a power card exactly yeah and, and it's it's not that magnifying glass isn't isn't useful it's that yeah. it those slots are becoming as we get more and more good cards those slots are becoming more and more valuable and when we were back in, in the core set days, uh, you could drop a magnifying glass down if you got it in your opening hand. Mm. As a seeker, it's the stat you're using every single turn. And an yeah. extra an extra point in the stat you're using, multi often multiple times every turn, it's really, really solid. Oh, yeah. The value is just, just amazing. But yeah. now there's other ways you can get that boost. There's... You can be more efficient on the tests you do take, so it requires less resources to boost up those stats. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting then. So, so how about so where does the compass fit into? Yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Because well, so then flashlight fits into that. That flashlight obviously is limited for charges, costs more, takes an action to play. So all of these things are negatives compared to magnifying glass. But its great positive is that it lowers shroud rather than giving you a boost. And that means it can take tests from being tricky to being nearly passable or nearly 
what what's the word I'm trying to say? Autopilot to being pass. Uh, impossible to fail unless you get the tentacle. Yeah, yeah, which and, is and, incredible. So to go from a oh gosh, there are four or five tokens that will wipe me out to there's only one is incredible. Yeah, especially if you're a low uh, intellect investigator. Yeah, Zoe with a flashlight could sit in a location and get three clues from a two shroud location. Yeah. Where if you'd used one of her off-class slots for a magnifying glass, that would just make you a 3v2 on three tests, which is not very nice odds, even on easy. So that lowering of shroud is a very powerful ability. The the other thing I've always liked is uh, the combination of that with, look what I found, which can turn... So you can turn a, a four shroud location into two two automatic clues, effectively. Yeah, you bring it down to a passable level, and then if you also fail, you get the two. Yeah, and I remember yeah. I, I used to do that all the time back in the core set. So because <laughs> Agnes uses survivor cards, and two of the first cards I put in, well, four of the first cards I put in, it'd be the you know two look what I found, and then um, oh, what's it called? There's that mystic card that gives you two clues. Cards. <laughs> Right of seeking, something like that. No, 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 no. Right of seeking oh, is, no. is the asset. There's another one which is just a card. To oh, play. Okay. Anyway, whatever it's called, can't remember. Yeah, we'll think remember. of it afterwards. If you can think of the card name, let us know. Yeah, just let us know. Yeah. Okay, so otherworldly com- compass. This is where it gets weird. Obviously, otherworldly compass. There's a bit more of an investment in terms of experience. It's still taking up the hand slot, and yet it's also doing sort of the thing that. Flashlight is doing reducing shroud, which is really good. But unlike flashlight, it's not a fixed reduction. It's a variable reduction. And that's where it gets really tricky to judge the compass. Because you'd say, oh, well, if I'm playing Midnight Masks, I might not have revealed any locations connected to my location. So the compass is useless. Or you could say, I've revealed all of the locations and I'm getting a minus three every time I exhaust the compass. And that's another thing. You have to exhaust it. So yeah. you can't do the flashlight thing of sitting in a location, dropping it shroud to zero for three tests. Location done. Never need to return there. You have to... I'm doing a hand gesture where you parcel out your uses of the compass. You get little and often rather than in one burst. Portion control. So where I see Otherworld Compass actually fitting in is compared to something like lockpicks. Oh, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't, hadn't considered that. So lockpicks is an exhaust, and you're getting a big boost, which normally means it's a surefire success. And, I mean, it has uses, supplies, but normally the boost is big enough that you're not losing a charge, or if you lose a charge every two or three tests, you get sort of, say, seven or eight tests out of it, and it's still decent. Usually those charges are enough to last you But people don't complain about lockpicks exhausting, mainly because it's used in solo, I think, and mainly because you... You just get used to playing in that way. You do a one investigate and you then do other things. So that's where I see that this is similar. But do you want your seekers to only be doing one investigate per turn? No. <laughs> and this is, I, I was still pausing because I was hoping you would jump in and talk well, about I mean, Ursula. So talk well, about this, how this... you ended up investigating as Ursula in Endless Slumber at the weekend because I thought that was very interesting. Well, this is exactly what I in a non-drawn to the flame way. Yes, this is what I, I ended up saying in the Facebook group because the question was specifically about Ursula, and I found Ursula has really in the last few games as I've I've got now more experience with a high experience Ursula deck. And I can have, you know, 10 cards, 10 plus cards. I think I had 16 in front of me, including a couple of treacheries. And when I finished my scenario the other day, 
And you can be using Incredible. cards to move and give yourself uh, free investigate actions if you're using a Pathfinder to move. And you can use fieldwork, which I think is an absolutely vital Pathfinder and fieldwork. I think are vital Ursula cards. Mm. And they would be, I would recommend everyone puts two fieldwork in their Ursula deck and make the first two experience you get be two Pathfinder. And I, I mean, I don't want to encourage an orthodoxy, Frank, but <laughs> it's a fantastic engine in Ursula. And you can potentially be doing, taking, you know, two actions for free every turn with a, with a boost to those actions. Yeah. So what I would do is move into a location, get to use my field work, get a free investigate action, and then use my second action to use a compass. So then you've got two boosted investigate actions on the same location. Yeah. One with a plus two from field work and then one with, say, a minus two from the compass to the shroud. So typically it seemed to be firing at either minus one, two or three. Yeah. Uh, There wasn't many locations that wasn't doing that. And of course, it also lets you, when you move the Ursula, you can still use the compass as her free investigate action. If you run out of clues on the location, field work doesn't work anymore. And then you can use the compass when you move into the location. Yeah. So my, my, my feeling is, Again, as, as we've, we've, the card pool has expanded and more options have arrived for, for seekers, you're doing the classic seeker thing of standing in one location and investigating three times a turn to get all the clues. Mm-hmm. You're doing that far less often. Yeah. And being able to be more mobile, especially in Ursula, is, is, is really, really good. And there's other cards you can use that give other benefits to other tests and being able to move around and use them is good. Yeah. I suppose the other way to look at the compass is how much experience would you pay for a flashlight that never ran out? And who should be allowed to have that card? Because if it was a neutral card, flashlight level two just didn't have any supplies on it. It was just, is it supplies on flashlight or charges? I think it's supplies. Yeah, I think it is. There's three of them, whatever they are. I use those little resource tokens to mark them. (laughs) Yeah, but if, if you didn't... If it was unlimited, and maybe only limited by exhausting per turn, that as a neutral card would probably drive out investigative options across the factions. I'd find it a really good thing to include. So maybe making the compass be that kind of levelled up flashlight and actually putting it in Seeker to just control a little bit who's getting the really powerful investigative abilities is no bad thing. But if you come at it going, well, I wouldn't run flashlight in a seeker, so I definitely won't run the compass. That it, sort of the logic has got all confused, I think, in that. Yeah. I guess well, the other thing that's interesting about what I just said is that I'm saying the compass is better if you're also quite mobile when you're using it, which is mm-hmm. pretty appropriate for thematically for a compass. Yeah. Who but knows? Yeah. Who knows yeah, where yeah. it's pointing to if you're running backwards and forwards? But yeah. And it's in a it's in a faction that have mobility. Like we always say this, but they've got shortcut, they've got Pathfinder, they can move around. So it's, it's strong in that regard as well. Yeah. The other person I think it is nice in is Roland, because the majority of Roland's clues he might be getting just from killing things. So those times when you want to get another clue, maybe you're going to do Scene of the Crime, or maybe you want a surefire hit and drop the shroud down because I've played with magnifying glass for quite a long time in Roland. You're taking intellect tests at four, which is okay, but not stellar, but getting a minus two or a minus three to a test 
every so often would be really nice. Yeah, yeah. Haven't tried it yet. I guess the only other thing worth mentioning in the comparison between magnifying glass and, and both flashlight and the compass is that the boost from the magnifying glass is more flexible. So I could actually, if I wanted to, use a magnifying glass and a compass at the same time mm. to give me yeah. plus one to the test from the glass and then minus X from the compass. And then also you can use all of your cards, which are based on an investigate effect, like Unearth the Ancients, you know, it, it, it's it's boosting those tests as well. Yeah. It is the gold standard, I would say. Yeah. As a seeker, definitely start at that point and then decide. But, I mean, yeah, the final thing I'd say is that remember that Matt said that in a cycle, he's not trying to just provide cards for the faction. He's trying to provide cards for the investigators. Yeah, so yeah, the person absolutely. who wants to run the super mobile Ursula deck, this fits in just like a dream. But maybe this doesn't make its way into a daisy deck because you're not rolling in that way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, maybe Daisy goes a different route from being super mobile, which yeah. which Ursula like Ursula really likes to do. Yeah, cool. Well, that was very interesting. So I hope that that sheds some light on. I don't know. Maybe this is a way of people thinking about how we we talk, judge and talk about cards. Hmm. We weren't really planning you... this discussion either. It was just we had a couple of cards we wanted to talk about. So yeah, yeah. And I I think quite often there's. There's a, there's a lot of similar cards that do... I mean, we could chuck in other cards to this comparison, like Lantern and Newspaper and mm, all that mm, kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And there's lots of cards that do similar sort of things, but very slightly in their execution. And it's one of the things I really like about building decks is that you get to put a bit of flavour in when you do that. And we're not playing competitively. People don't need to judge your choices, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Except for you, Frank, who always judges me. No, I feel other people are judging. I'm an anti-judger. I'm are, judgmental are, of the judges. So, yeah. That's yeah. who I'm judging. No, no, no tolerance wow, for I was judges. Quite passionate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No tolerance for intolerance. Karl Popper would be proud. Well, let us know what you think about the mic quality. Hopefully, I'll do a good editing job on this one as well. But it looks like it should be smoother, which is exciting. And yeah, you can get in touch with us at drawn to the flame podcast at gmail Drawn to the Flame on Twitter, Drawn to the Flame on Facebook. And we're also on Patreon and super grateful. We're going to be putting more things up on Patreon and I'm hoping to organise more events soon. So thanks again, patrons. Yes, and if if you join our Patreon, you get to join in our Discord as well. So there's lots of great chat going on there. If you don't want to join our Discord, there's also the Mythos Busters Discord, which is it is absolutely buzzing with people. Hochen. Yeah, the hub. So how can people find you online, Frank? Oh, I'm FB on Twitter. That's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. And I'm around the places. Zooey Glass. How about you, Peter? I am United everywhere. So that's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Discord. I'm on the Reddit. I'm on Twitter. Uh, everywhere. So say hello. <laughs>